0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Faye, and I'm joined in isolation, but down the line, by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, good to hear you, even though I can't see you, Rich. Yeah, well, some would say that's for the best. And uh, Tyrone <laughs> Marshall? Hello, good to hear those dulcet Welsh tones, mate. Uh, very, yeah, they're not very... I mean, I thought coming back home to rural Wales would make them more Welsh, in a way. Maybe pick up a yeah. little farmer twang, but... I guess the whole point of isolation is I don't see anyone other than my mum and the dog. So, uh.
1: You, you have lost that twang, really, haven't you?
0: M mm, Again, some would say it's for the best. Who knows? But, uh. <laughs> how, are, how are both of you keeping Samuel? You're you, you keeping busy, still finding things to write about?
2: Uh, just, just about, fortunately. Um, I think last night I watched a Bronx Tale for the first time. Haven't seen that before. That's that's quite a good. What's film. What's that about
0: New York? Listen,
2: uh, it's yeah, it's 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 a uh, Robert De Niro directed film. Um, one of the few that he's directed about mob and some kid growing up in in the Bronx. Unsurprisingly, so that's that's worth a watch. I've I've not got onto the second series of Afterlife yet. Uh, obviously, I think I'm one of just about, God knows what, I think, I can't really think of too many people who haven't seen The Last Dance at the moment. I haven't. Most people are. Ah, well, there we go then. Do um, I need to like so basketball? I've... Because I, I can't be No, you basketball. don't. You no, don't. no, you don't. You don't. I I, I mean, I, I thought that. I think it's it's one of those, as is often the case with those ESPN 30-30 documentaries, you don't have to like the sport to appreciate the documentary. Um, although it's done by Jordan's production company, it's still a phenomenal watch so um but they're being drip fed i think it's two per week uh per weekend so uh you can't quite binge them all just yet but i think there are only about 10 more episodes left sorry not 10 more episodes left there are four more episodes left
0: how long is an episode up to 40 minutes or
2: yeah i think it it, it's an hour tops but they always seem to clock in under an hour uh but it's just a phenomenal documentary the the footage i captured was um was great from from the time it's amazing that it was archived for as long as as it was and uh, the upside was it gave me an idea to go off and do a piece about the few occasions that ferguson uh, allowed cameras in in the dressing room so hopefully that gave people some some escapism to go to these youtube videos that ha- haven't got as many views as that they uh, probably should have
0: question for both of you now off the top of that if you could have maybe not, maybe this doesn't even have to be United um, they might show over allegiances who know but if you could have one season documented with one of these behind the scenes the world documentaries for any any sport maybe just one season mm. any team to follow what, what would your dream documentary be because um, you, know. it's got to have some sort of fallout hasn't it It's got to be shambolic rather than successful, I think, hasn't
2: it? Is this United specific or any team? Well, any
0: any team you want. I mean, if there's a United season in particular that springs to mind, that would be interesting as well. But um,
2: I I think United specific um, in my lifetime, probably o five o six, because Keane obviously got sacked. You had the MUTV video. Um, You had Van Nistelrooy abusing Ferguson on the bench in the League Cup final. You had. Van Nistelrooy and Ronaldo's fallout towards the end of the season. Van Nistelrooy been told to leave the stadium on the final day. Um, that that was a very very turbulent campaign. Ferguson was confronted by fans at an airport and told them to go and watch Chelsea if they were unhappy about ticket prices. Um, everything seemed to happen that season. So th- that United wise, that'd be the one I'd I'd, I'd go to. Um, god, there are so many. I mean there's there's that clip of the latent orient manager, isn't he? <laughs> a clip for a fiver. Off, yeah, offering a fight. Offering offering his players out for fighting, telling yeah, them. And bring him, your bring, dinner with bring you. The new... <laughs> There's a
1: good one, on, um, good, good one on Amazon, a four-year plan, if anyone's seen that, about QPR yes. when um, Briatori took over, which Javier is Briatore. absolutely yeah. comical and the extent they want to get involved in to pick the team and calling just about every single manager he has an idiot within the first first week or so. It's hilarious at how not to run a football team.
2: And and the, and the sad thing about it is that at the end of the four-year plan, they do get them promoted to the Premier League as well <laughs> yes, Somehow all the chaos yeah. that engulfs the club. So it um, does work. The four-year plan does, Yeah, it does work. Yeah. It it's the, the most drinking, like, un- a chaos theory.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the most unexpected happy ending you can possibly imagine because they've done everything to make it a complete failure, and and somehow they do get promoted. It is um, it is quite comical, and then they got promoted after they were told they weren't having a points deduction for that. Um, Alejandro Fall in transfer so it was a, a comical yes, season yeah. which is why these documentaries sell I think if I could choose any Rich I'd probably go for the season Wrexham got relegated from the Football League
0: Wow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah I, get, I, I think the season before when, I think when we get relegated from League One's better when we win the LDV Vans trophy go into administration and still get relegated but yeah that if you want, want, want our demise I'm not sure they had film cameras film <laughs> at ever that's the transfer <laughs> <end. laughs> Failure,
1: cells. Yeah, There's, not it we've seen with Sunderland till I die how um, yeah. how gripping it is when teams fail. And the last the last episode of that Leeds one, take me home, is is worth a watch just to see their um, their capitulation as well.
0: Yeah, I've not watched the the Leeds one. I will get onto it. But I guess this is a Man United podcast talking about Leeds is something we shouldn't do too often. But uh, you mentioned there about how these documentaries particular QPR QPR, what happens when it's all shambolic and chaos ensues. And I guess the Premier League season this year would make a good documentary because Project Restart already sounds like something that's going to be parodied for years to come. The latest suggestions are ludicrous. I mean, Gordon Taylor said that halves of football could be shortened from 45 minutes. Surely that's got legal implications of what, but does, what the other games on, on, were. And...
2: Just, just on that, um, I mean, I... I I don't want to sound libelous or anything like that, but does does anybody like take what Gordon Taylor says at face value? Given that no. he, no. you know, he's clinging on to power at the PFA still about eighteen months after there was this investigation launched into it. I know the alternative at the moment it seems to be Dave Kitson, who, you know, less he was the secret footballer, and that's pretty much all that he's got going for him, especially after the comp said about Raheem Sterling. But I, I'm pretty sure, I think one of the rights holders seemed to debunk that Taylor claim. And somebody else said that a Premier League executive said that's not even been mentioned. It just seemed like it was Gordon Taylor trying to sound relevant. And all he succeeded in doing was he sounded irrelevant as far well as I was concerned.
0: Yeah, um, some of the other suggestions we've seen that, rele- I mean, the relegation one as well it could be scrapped. I know you did a piece. Did you do a piece about this in terms of what would We're happen dead. if relegation was scrapped? Um yeah, what, I mean, it would, that.
1: in theory, it would benefit United and probably Chelsea to an extent as well, um, who have both got four, four of their final nine games against teams in the bottom six. I think it's only the bottom six that can go down. So, I mean, if you take away the threat of relegation from those bottom six teams, then they have nothing to play for in a scenario where probably a lot of them don't want to play. You'd imagine there'd be easy pickings and, and easy three points. But, I mean, I don't think it's a price worth paying, is it? It's just... It was never going to take long for self-interest to overtake the um, the importance of the sport and what's going on, you know, the importance of uh, the kind of getting a restart as healthily as possible. And it's the bottom six that have done it. And the idea of, I mean, take, you're going to take quite home advantage anyway, by the fact there's no crowds there and it's just, it is flagrant self-interest to, to try and avoid relegation. I mean, the obvious way for me to nip it in the bud, to tell those bottom three teams well, fine, we'll, we'll stop now then and you can all go down on a points per game basis. Villa might cry wolf that they've got a game in hand, but what's the chances of them winning it? They've not won many games all season. So I think it's you know it's a blatant attempt to try and avoid relegation and, and one that the rest of the league should just completely ignore and, and nip in the bud. I don't think teams should use this as a way to try and get out of, of relegation when for 75% of the season it's been a failure for them.
0: Savage today, Tyrone, going in on all these poor, innocent (laughs) relegation-threatened clubs. Uh, I guess in terms of maybe a wider issue, both of you, maybe it would be interesting to know your opinion on this, but Samuel, I know there's been a lot of talk and there's been some people just saying that why are we even talking about football returning when when the UK in wider aspect is in such uncertainty? But plans have to be made in place, don't they? These discussions have to happen
2: absolutely've i've always maintained that they they had to have a plan to to restart the Premier League uh, the, the the seasons in in England purely because if they didn't they'd have got stick um, for that you, you need to have a plan for normality to come round at some stage or another i know that a lot of people uh, sadly have, have been affected by what's what's happened they've you know they've lost loved ones and i i don't blame those people for having a very different outlook on it and that they've feel as though people should just stay at home until everything is as safe as possible for normality to return. But from a practical point of view, from an um, economical point of view, you need to get businesses up and running again sooner or later. And a lot of clubs are in danger of, of going bust, sadly, because of w- what's happened. And they you need to get the economy up and running again, not just nationwide, but in these local communities where the football clubs... Um, contribute an awful lot in terms of jobs in terms of you know get, getting people together ticket revenue all these things I know at the moment it's, it's felt like very much the premier League show but sooner or later the the, the football league clubs are going to have to be addressed as well because that is a real that is a really difficult scenario um just the the sheer number of games left for clubs that might be in the playoffs that are looking to get promotion um, as ty touched upon it I mean the whole notion that relegation could be scrapped in the Premier League is just absolutely ludicrous. Um, whoever had the brass neck to even suggest it, I'd, I'd love to know who it is. I mean, they, they really should have been outed because it was just such a a craft suggestion to make. Um, I mean, Karen Brady, uh, charming Karen, Karen Brady's Richard Keyes refers to all those years ago. It's not very often that I agree with Richard Keyes on certain things, but um, with with her and the way she came across with with her column in the Sun, it was very very tawdry and just just not just not in in the spirit of the game. I know that's a term that's mainly used for cricket, but the integrity of the game uh, of the league season, if and when it does restart, has has got to be maintained as best as possible. And I know that's not. There's no perfect scenario because when the games do restart, I can imagine that the quality of the games is, is not going to be particularly high because players haven't played in uh, what well, it'll have been well over three months. Um, someone like Paul Pogba's case, if he, if he was to start United's first game back, it's going to be eight months, nine months. So the integrity is going to take a kicking in one way or another, and I can understand allowances like bringing more substitutes substitutes into uh, match day squads or permitting more substitutions. I think that the Premier League has been lagging a bit in that sense. I know it's not a major deal, but I think in in Italy and, and Germany you have allowed up to eleven substitutes, uh, not substitutes, sorry, substitute. Uh, well, yes, yeah, substitutes, not substitution. Yeah, on the back. Um, yeah. exactly. Yeah, like like in in major tournaments, uh, where the whole squad that go that is selected um, in a major tournament is you know it's it's effectively participating on match day is available for selection. Uh, I, I get all that. That's that is logical, and I think with with the Bundesliga obviously getting up and running, um, that that sort that's given people a modicum of hope that the Premier League could return next month, and it's looking like it's going to. But it does change so drastically. I think when the um, when it was announced last week that Liga had, had been cancelled and that PSG had been declared champions, I think a lot of people over here were probably pessimistic about the Premier League restarting. Now that the Bundesliga looks likely, like it's about to start, um, people are optimistic again, and you've seen the players back in Spain returning to training. Uh, what I would say, though, is that the death toll in Germany is nothing like it is over here. And I certainly remember, I think, about a month ago uh, when everyone was saying about how you know the german model and i know this this has been applied to football so much in recent years but you talk about the german model well they were testing very very aggressively very early on there and all the cheerleaders of the government were saying well they're still on track for a worse death toll than than in the uk well that's been absolutely blown out of the water sadly um the, the death toll in the uk is is, is a catastrophe and a, and a disgrace on this government but that's that is the bigger picture and that in Germany I think the last last I saw it was about 7,000 deaths from uh, COVID-19 whereas over here I think we're in danger of you know, certainly ticking not, not just towards the 40,000 mark at some stage but possibly going past it and again it just has to be as safe as possible for it to for it to resume I and mean, if it isn't then the case will have to come that you just declare liverpool champions effectively on points per game and it's it's not a perfect scenario but if if it's not safe and and, and everybody's not healthy enough to do it then you you've got no choice there
0: in terms of the the aspect of the as time touched upon there about it being as safe as possible mm. do you think it is just worth waiting until it would be safe enough to continue at all or do you think that we've got to play it behind closed doors while we can now and just get it over and done with? I think it's got to
1: come back behind closed doors, I think there's this petition floating around from from some fans about don't bring it back until fans can go in. I mean, it's just selfish look-at-me loyalty from from fans that, that are signing that. I think it's absolutely idiotic. The fans aren't going to be back in stadiums until 2021, almost certainly. If you play no football until 2021, then dozens of clubs are going to go bust and seek to exist and thousands of jobs will be lost. So just because some fans are disappointed they won't be allowed in to see their team, it's a price worth paying. It's I mean, it's a, it's a ludicrous idea. And the only way football can resume at the moment and, and anytime any soon is going to be behind closed doors and, and look by the looks of things at neutral venues. And that's just a, a price worth paying, really. And I think it would be... It, it, I mean, it's typical sort of, let's have a go at the football, I think, that, that the Premier League is coming in for, for criticism at the moment. No one's saying that they're going to play when it's not safe to do so or when it's not as safe as possible to do so in the circumstances. A lot of the anger seems to be based on the perception that they're going to start tomorrow and take tests off storm into hospitals and take tests off nhs staff i mean that's just not the case this we're talking six weeks down the line when who knows what testing capacity will be who knows what the situation will be but it'd be negligent of any business at the moment not to look at potential scenarios to restart or or reopen and i don't see why football clubs would would be any different to that really i mean we're seeing fast food outlets reopen at the moment because they want to make money again. We're seeing B&Q and Wix reopen because they've noticed people are doing DIY projects in their garden and there might be a penny to be made in it for them. They're not opening for any grand self-conscious reasons, yeah, w- are they? A-
0: Wix are not reopened to restore national pride and morale, have they?
1: No, of course they're not. They're opening because they know there's money to be made in it, but no one's turning around and protesting and saying this is scandalous. Yeah, when football's talking about restarting and only talking, we should say, it, it's somehow some kind of national disgrace when we're talking six months down the line. I mean, the alternative is the government turns around in June or July and says, right, we're, we're probably at a stage now where we can think about playing games and, and games behind closed doors. And do we expect the Premier League to turn around at that point and say, all right, well, we've done no planning for it, so it's going to take us about six weeks to get things up and running. I mean, they they'd get absolutely slaughtered by member clubs and staff who would potentially be losing out on, on more wages if they did that. So... You know, if it comes to the start of June or mid-June and it's clear that there's not enough testing capacity or that the infection rate is still too high and it's just not possible, then at that point, you know, you look at it and you say, right, it's just it's just not plausible. Like Samuel says, we'll finish it now on a points per game scenario. But I don't see what the benefit is of, of cancelling the season now and, and stopping these talks now when talking about it, it is doing no harm, really. And it's just a sensible approach to take. And let's see what the situation is in, in June when it comes closer to to so this idea of a restart. I must time say makes, as well.
2: t- time makes a salient point there in that I think the government, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who are not intelligent enough to see where the government are adopting spin in things. And we saw it with um, the, the Professor Ferguson story coming out and dominating the news agenda, which is kind of like masked over the, the, the death toll figures in this country. And I think the government, by put putting the Premier League Front and center, and this project restart thing—you know, getting that out there in the news—which has obviously been happening—but it's almost their way of letting the Premier League and letting football take the heat. If they do cock it up and they do look too selfish and rapacious in trying to get the season restarted, because then it's an opportunity for them to try and fly under the radar and um, not not come under as much scrutiny as as they have been. Um, yeah, you know, there is going to have to be an inqu- inquiry about why the Prime Minister was telling people to wash their hands on the day that scientific advice was... Sorry, not not wash hands, but why the Prime Minister was telling people to shake people's hands on the day the scientific advice was that you don't shake people's hands. Um, there's only so much you can do to to cover that. But it does seem like there are times with this government that they are trying to pass the buck on to others. And football is an easy target. And in fairness, it, it worked. I was listening to the radio um, the other day. Uh, all the feedback from listeners was how dreadful it is these prima donnas could be playing when people are dying and blah, blah, blah. And, and then you get along the lines of when England used to go out of major tournaments and how you know soldiers and nurses don't get the wages that footballers do. All that claptrap, Um and it's, and it's frankly tedious. I'm not one of these people who's massively sympathetic with footballers. Um, I think Jack Grealish and Carl Walker's behaviour during this lockdown and some of the other things you hear about... Uh, is a reminder that you know that that they are very selfish there are a lot of selfish footballers out there I was told that some footballers wanted to be tested for COVID-19 just so that they could get the all clear and then pretty much carry on regardless but they don't deserve as much of a kick in as they have been getting and I think that tone was set by Matt Hancock when he was telling them to take wage cuts and you're thinking well You know, Richard Pranson is looking for a massive 500 million pound loan to, say, Virgin Atlantic. Um, I think he's got more than enough to cover the costs if he wanted to. Um, I mean, he could sell his own private island, but of course, it doesn't it, it doesn't suit their agenda to go after people like that.
0: Yeah, it would be interesting to see how that all uh, develops. On the MEM, we'll bring you all the updates as and when we get them on what's happening with Premier League restarts and any developments we have on, on that project. Um, in terms of United news now, um, Samuel, you did the line earlier this week, that United are relaxed about the possibility of Odin Igarlo return to Shanghai. Um, Marcus Rashford is fit again now for United. He will be expected to uh, to be in a squad when football does resume. But Igarlo, I know we spoke about him a lot on this podcast. I remember it saying back, well, I think it was in February after he'd signed how many goals would Igalo have to score for United to want to keep him he's obviously a fan favourite already Tyrone Igalo is a complicated one because obviously his loan deals is due to expire and you know it would have to be agreed between the two clubs to extend it there's no real interest from in Shanghai maybe to do that if the Premier League came back but uh, and Igalo do you think he's opened United's eyes in terms of the transfer strategy at the club and made them think that buying young players isn't always the right answer
1: yeah, I think you know. I think they need some experience in there, and I think it's something that has gradually come to to realise as well. It was noticeable after they have beaten, um, I think it was the City game, and they they went to, you know the last Premier League game they played. And he was asked about a a title challenge and what do they need, and he said, you know, one, two, three signings, maybe, and a bit of experience as well. So I think he's aware that they need some experience. I, I mean, I think I think Agala would still be a decent permanent acquisition, really. I mean, if so we had that conversation about how many goals would he need to score, and I think we were all quite sceptical about the idea of, of him making a move permanently. But if he turned around and said four goals would be enough to convince everyone that he was worth a permanent move, then it, it would have seemed like some sort of parallel universe which we were about to enter and which we seem to have now entered. But he's he's done enough, I think, to 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 be a good sort of third, fourth choice option. What? I'm not sure United at the moment need to be spending big money on a, a world class centre forward when they've got Martial, they've got Greenwood coming through, Rashford can play there. You need a balance in, in a strike force. You can't have, it's unlikely you can have three or four centre forwards who all want to be playing every week. And I think it's pretty clear that Agala would be more than happy to be to just be a part of this squad and playing cup games and, and coming on in Premier League games and, and would also allow Greenwood's development to. Continue. So I think it's, it's proven the worth of, of having a backup striker, of having depth in your striking options. And I think at the moment, while we wait and see how Martial develops maybe over the next 12 to, to 18 months, I think someone like Igarlo who is happy just to sort of play a squad role and, and looks at the moment like a consistent performer. Is, is
0: someone worth having in, in your squad? Yeah, I guess that's maybe, it's not a criticism of fans, but in terms of transfers, fans always look and say, who can we buy who comes in and strengthens the first team? but sometimes you need a transfer who comes in and strengthens the squad, who doesn't play every week, who's just an option off the bench, which, like you said, Iguala is. Samuel, I've also, you've done a piece today. Alexis Sanchez could be that man, couldn't he? <laughs>
2: um, te- technically, he could be. Uh, I mean, it's an opportunity for Salzgaard to make you know good on that rather ridiculous statement he came out with in, in January when he said he's going to come back and prove you all wrong. Uh, just, just on that quote, I mean, when Solskjaer said that, one of our colleagues kind of like didn't interrupt him, but made a. They were like, "Really?" Like, th- and they said it audibly as well, and that partly provoked Solskjaer coming out with that, as if to say, "Like, you know, why are you saying that? I'm. I need to have a go back with you." And and Solskjaer's not always the most tactful or um, cogent when it comes to press conferences. He's. I think he was was getting better just before the lockdown, but that's that's been a trait of his time at United. Uh, ultimately. Sanchez's loan expires um, 30th of June, given that the Premier League, if it does restart, would play into July. He would be available for selection if United wanted to register him as a player. I would imagine that the Premier League will be relaxing registration um, forms or, or registration rules for Premier League clubs purely because A lot of players are just going to walk away from their clubs. They're not going to want to stay uh, without getting a wage. Players like uh, Pedro, William, Jan Vertonghen. And then obviously you've got players coming back from loans like Sanchez at Inter Milan. And I don't think Inter will be making his loan move permanent. I mean, it's it's been another disaster, uh, another disastrous season for Sanchez. And then there are other players at other clubs who would be coming back on loan. And suddenly they might be, they might be seen as useful, because not only have you got them in the short term, but you're likely to be saddled with them in the long term, purely because of the economic outlook um, in in the transfer market. So someone like Mario Lamina, who was, you know, I mean, he's ridiculously linked with United last year and was never going to go to United, but I think he's been on loan from Southampton, but th- there's a possibility that he could go back to Southampton, Southampton lose this player and that player, and they need to, to Villa Void and Suddenly, Mario Lamina is an option to do that. With Sanchez, it's—I you know, I don't think there's any knowledgeable United fan out there that, that would want to see him play for United again. But if there's an injury um, or, or a couple of injuries, then you can—you know—that there is an argument to be made that it makes sense to try and register him as as, as a squad member in the Premier League because, as it stands um Igalo is going to go back to China. His loan expires on May the 31st. That's Normally with contracts, that expire at the end of June, but because the Chinese Super League usually starts in February, it was a, an arrangement until the end of May. So even though people framed it as a six-month loan, it was more like a three-month loan or a three-and-a-half-month loan. And from United's perspective, they're, they're pretty sanguine about it because I think th- th- there is an element of posturing involved. If they looked like that, they were bothered about a striker, who is attached to a Chinese Super League club going back to China, then from an appearances perspective, they look a bit weak. It's not like United trying to do all they can to keep Carlos Tevez to stay back in 2009. It's not like it's a a real big player who is... I know Igalu is really popular with United supporters and he's he's played a really big role so far. But ultimately, he is someone who's spent the last nearly three and a half years in, in China Um, What I would say, though, I think is that you can't underestimate the usefulness of having a a backup striker. And if there's one person United need to ask about that, it's Marcus Rashford. His form at the start of the season when Marshall was injured, when the workload uh, piled up for him, he he was poor. I think he scored one goal in nine. That was a penalty against Leicester. There was certainly a growing clamour for Greenwood to come in and and actually not play with Rashford, but actually replace him. certainly going into that Newcastle game at the start of October when they lost 1-0, Rashford's stock was not very high whatsoever at that time, uh, but Solskjaer obviously felt Greenwood was too callow to to bring in uh, directly for Rashford, and you could see where he's coming from, but Rashford, when he has been at his best this season, it's been when he's he's had a support network around him, when Marshall's been fit, and I know he's not a centre-forward uh, or an out-and-out number nine like Galo is, but it does make sense to always have that specialist back up there. And if someone like Marshall gets injured, and let's face it, Marshall can be quite flaky um, as a centre-forward, then there's not an ideal solution there because Rashford, as he's shown this season, is better playing from the left. Um, And, okay, he he can fill in as a centre-forward, but if he's not playing there, then there's really no alternative other than Greenwood, who is just about playing across the whole front line at the moment and is doing very well that way
0: Ty on a similar sort of vein in terms of these loan deals and the expiring stuff another interesting one is uh, Dean Henson at Sheffield United technically his loan spell at Sheffield United will end on the 30th of June and it's understood United would have to give permission for Henson to go back to Sheffield United and fulfil maybe the loan obligation and play the entire season with Sheffield United but by doing so Sheffield United would be in a stronger position to finish maybe even a Champions League position. I know Chris Wilder laughed that off today and said that the Champions League is maybe already out of the question for Sheffield United, but it raises an interesting moral dilemma, doesn't it? Because for United's own benefit it would be logical to keep Dean Henderson at the club and not boost Sheffield United, but they agreed to let let them have him for the season. So what would you do if you were United in that situation? They don't need a goalkeeper immediately, but No,
1: they don't. I mean, I would let him go back. I think it would look... Sheffield United have had a great season, but I think it would look pretty petty and small time on Manchester United's part to deny Sheffield United a lone player because they are scared of Sheffield United. You know, as well as as they've played, I think Manchester United should be taking care of of their own business and and not worrying too much about Sheffield United and, and denying them a goalkeeper who's impressed all season. And I think it would... You know, the, the bigger picture here is Dean Henderson's development, and it would benefit him by finishing the season and getting another, who knows, five six Premier League games that are due to be played at that point in, and, and under his belt. Like I say, he's not needed at United at the moment, he probably won't be needed at United next season, and we'll have to go out on loan again. And I think I think Man- I think United will will have enough to finish above Sheffield United, whether Dean Henderson is at Sheffield United or not. Really, so I, I don't see any reason why. United would would want to deny him the opportunity of, of finishing that season, especially when we know how how passionate Henderson becomes about the the clubs he's playing for. Even when he's on loan, he it really takes those clubs to heart, takes the fan bases to heart. So I think if you if you denied him the option to to finish the season there and and finish that season, perhaps with a, a top six, top seven finish in, in European qualification, it would it would probably annoy the player as as well as the other club.
0: And like you said there, Ty, as well, United still would are scheduled to play Sheffield United again, which Dean Henson wouldn't be able to play in regardless. To play. So as long as United win their games, they'll finish ahead of Sheffield United anyway. So it would yeah, look exactly. really bad on the club. It, it wouldn't he, look it great. Doesn't. and I don't, I don't think it's a look that, that United want
1: to look like. They need to, to sort of play, play games to, to try and hinder Sheffield United's chances. As, as good a season if they've had under Chris Wilder, who, who is a great manager, uh, I don't think that's a route United would need to go down.
0: Talking about things that don't look good for United. Marcus Rojo in Argentina. uh, (laughs) Local radio station uh, put a video online which appears to show someone, or shows five or six males, one of them closely resembling Rojo, playing cards around an outdoor table, breaking social distancing rules. Samuel, you've written before, you know, United have tried to sell Marcus Rojo so many times. Um, He's played so infrequently since he signed his new bumper contract. This is the end of him at United, surely.
2: Uh, you would hope so. Yeah, you'd hope so. But some bright spark gave him a new contract in, when was it? March 2018. And they could have released him last year. Uh, whoever was responsible for giving him the new contract, I've, I've no idea. Um, I, well, I, th- I think people have got a decent idea. It certainly wasn't Jose Mourinho. But, I mean, Woodward offered a very, very weak defence of, of giving rewarding underperforming players, new contracts. Rojo's not the only one. Phil Jones is another one last year. And I think Saskia tried to justify it by saying that Jones knows what it's like to win the Premier League. And the season that United won the Premier League with Jones, he was actually injured for the first half of it. So that um, that didn't really quite stack up. With Rojo, uh, I mean, I know Pete. there, there are some people who still always off that caveat. When he's actually fit, he's good and blah, blah, blah. Well, He's not fit often enough. His professionalism is just rank bad. Uh, he was signed on the back of the World Cup, which is always a no-no, almost always a no-no. Uh, at least with Romero, United gave it a year and then signed him. And let's face it, at the World Cup that year in 2014, Romero didn't actually look that solid. And he's at, he's probably the only Argentinian who's gone to United and they've not had a problem with. He's He's been a very good signing but Rojo, uh, this this isn't the first time that his professionalism has um, deserted him. I remember when he came back in 2015 from the Copa America, he couldn't play until late, late September because he was so unfit. The pictures of him out and about in Manchester, he looked quite rotund. Um, there have been other issues in his personal life. There was a very, very uh, tawdry story about him, I think, in March, April 2015 time and uh, involving a friend uh, he'd made over in Manchester. That friend is now his agent. You search his name. This story is the only one that comes up about the agent, so it's not a good look. Um, I think since he signed the contract in March, over two years ago, he started something like, where is it, seven Premier League games or something like that? I don't think it's double figures. Uh, I mean, his, his contract is up next year, and... They really should not, whatever the situation is, they should not be triggering the one-year option on it. They should just release him if they can't sell him for a fee this summer. Uh, he's gone back to Argentina and he's played what one game, I think, for Estudiantes. Uh, he, he's another of these players. And I know a lot of European players are guilty of it as well. But United have history of it with South American players and the, the, the country always comes first. It's always about um, playing at the Copa America, playing for a World Cup, with Hainsey, Gabriel Hainsey in 2005-06, he did his Crucia in United, got him fit for the World Cup, he played at the World Cup and how did he thank them? He tried to join Liverpool the next year and he tried to take them to court about it. Um, Di Maria, uh, I I found it quite reassuring in times like this that the Di Maria family are still scarred by their time in Manchester, Um, going off his wife's quotes yesterday, just... An absolute coward, as Gary Neville said. You only have to look at Zabaleta and Aguero to know that Argentinians can hack it in Manchester and can be brilliant players for their clubs in Manchester as well. Um, Alexis Sanchez hasn't completed ninety minutes for United since the first day of last season. Funnily enough, he able to complete. He was able to complete ninety minutes for Chile at the Copa America last year. So I know European players can, you know, put their country before their club at times when there's a major tournament coming around, but from United's experience with a lot of South American players, there's an issue there. And Ferguson said it in his books, so Alex Ferguson said like he found Argentinian players difficult to work with, and he says about how patriotic they are, and th- th- there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Ferguson is, is an extremely patriotic uh, Scot, but with, with Argentinian players, he clearly, you know, th- there was something that he disagreed with there. And uh, I think he's been vindicated, with the exception of Romero, by the Argentinian signings United have made in recent years.
0: Ty, you did a piece on that this week, didn't you, in terms of United's transfer structure that fans had fallen in love with. It's the lovely idea of signing these exciting South American players. But do you think United yeah. will actually learn their lesson from this? Um, well... Uh, like like
1: Samuel said, and and like Gary Neville said, it Argentinians can work in the Premier League as as Aguero has, has shown. He's perhaps you know one of the best strikers the Premier League's ever seen, and he's he's showing no desperate rush to get out of here. Zabaleta was a cult hero at City, and has gone on to play for West Ham. So Argentinians can work. So it's just making sure you you sign the right ones, and and perhaps doing your homework. Really, United have have been a disaster. I, I think it's a shame because you know the fans were probably romanticised about this idea of, of sarging, signing Argentinians having I mean, started the Argentina chant after Beckham's sending off and you know, there was a period then where United fans relished winding up England fans and, and little Englanders given the stand-up if you hate Manu and, and all that kind of nonsense that went on at a national team game so I think United, United fans would have probably been desperate for Argentinians to succeed at Old Trafford so it's a bit of a quirk that of the six they've had only Romero comes out with, with any credit really and he comes out with credit by having probably not played that many games really and just been a reliable backup option. So it is a bit of a strange quirk and it's obviously a risk. We we've probably seen as many South American flops in the Premier League as we've seen South American successes. But if you get the right one that they can work. And you know, there was interest in Dybala last summer, so it's not something they've completely completely thrown away and to get the chance to sign a you know a world class Argentinian. If if Lionel Messi said this summer I have had a change of heart, I quite fancy retiring at Manchester United, then you wouldn't expect the club to turn around and go, oh, we've been burnt one too many times by Argentinians. Uh, but, but obviously you've got to make sure you're signing the right one and, and doing that, that character test beforehand. And, and too often they've signed players who, who fail that test of character.
0: As long as his wife likes the weather, that's all that matters. I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> um, what have both of you got planned for the rest of your weeks? Anything in particular? I'm off today, uh,
1: tomorrow, and Saturday, so I'll be um, going to the Costa Garden with a,
0: a couple of beers and a barbecue. Maybe well, that sounds very nice. Samuel, yourself, have you got anything planned? I'm guessing it's maybe starting on more Netflix series.
2: Uh, well, the the local Indian is is just about to reopen, so that's that's a massive result, and the uh, the chippy as well. That's that's reopening next week, so I think I'll have to have an Indian between now and the end of the week. And what's your go to order? Uh, it's it's a chicken ball team pilau rice. <laughs> mm,
0: very nice, it's Ty. What about yourself? Uh, chicken
1: tikka madras and mm. and chips. Unfortunately, I'm I'm very oh, anti rice. Oh,
2: a few you in the office,
0: so we'll probably remember. Don't, so
2: you, you, you cannot. Uh, I, I dread to think what James Robson would think of that.
0: I love how Ty, <laughs> I love how Tyrone two minutes ago was talking about little Englanders.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now with, with a curry. curry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, how the table oh, the Guilty turning. is charged on that one. Well, at least I, I don't hope... have roast chicken. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, well, I hope you enjoy your curry, Samuel. I enjoy. Hope you enjoy your Thank barbecue, you. tie. Um Thank you. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, wherever you might be. Um, unprecedented times is the, the two key words at the moment. But uh, well, we keep going, and we will be back again next week. I think. I'm sure we will be. Keep the positivity high. Uh, Please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we will see you again next time.